Previously.tv Podcast Network. When you're in a rush, take it from O.J. Simpson. Execute fast. Go, O.J., go! <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 119 for the week of June 13th, 2016. I am Hertz Donut David T. Cole, and I'm here with backfield in motion Sarah D. Bunting. Offense declines the penalty. Weather snob Joe Reed. My murdering hands are too cold. <laughs> Big skin prom queen Tar Ariana. <laughs> I switch it up. And pleasing person to white people Stephanie Green. <laughs> I'm not black, I'm OJ. <laughs> Fight a nickel. Welcome back, everybody, to Extra Hot Great, and please welcome back our esteemed colleague, Stephanie Green. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, Today, we are talking about the notorious 30 for 30 documentary event series, I guess. I'm not actually sure what we're supposed to call it. Massive film, OJ Made in America, which aired... It premiered Sunday night, and then I believe it is airing again Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. But, update, as you are listening to this, which should be Tuesday, uh, if you have the Watch ESPN app, they are putting the entire thing um, up on the app at the same time so that you can watch it in the sort of full-length, immersive way that it seems to have been intended I did not get a screener and was just sort of watching it the same as every other civilian and did not see the whole, you know, the whole breadth of it at one time. So, but I felt like we saw a lot of reviews of it in the weeks leading up to it. And I was pretty concerned that it wasn't going to live up to the wonderful billing it was getting. But I thought the first segment was fantastic. What did you guys think? Uh, yeah, I, I, first of all, thank you, Watch ESPN, for putting it all up together just in time for me to learn for the third time since I've had cable uh, what channel ESPN is on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I checked it when yeah, um, The Bronx is Burning was on, which I think was like the first summer I lived in New York, and then again for the 30 for 30 on Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, <laughs> and then for this. But uh, now I don't need to remember. It's channel 206 on DirecTV. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. Um, you know, this was a lot of stuff that I didn't know about him. And especially this was interesting to me as a non-sports fan, because, you know, around the time of the trial, I heard a lot about him as a celebrity and how incredibly famous he was. And I was like, you know, I had seen him in the Naked Gun movies and stuff. But other than that, I didn't know about him as a famous person other than the name and what he was like vaguely famous for. But like this, this first part um, which covers, you know, from the beginning of his life, basically up to he he's, meets Nicole Brown right at the end of the first two hours. And um, it covers a lot of pretty crazy ground. And um, I thought it was also very interesting having seen the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar documentary on HBO uh, earlier this year or possibly last year um, that sort of told the other side of the story of being a athlete in Southern California at that time and like ha- thinking it was very important to represent as a black person the, the seeing the opposite side of it play out that was that was interesting to me yeah I feel like this was the kind of thing that made me remember what's so nice about having those kind of slow cooker long form documentary shows that sort of you know Ken Burns effect without the 
comforting Morgan Freeman narration. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think any kind of Morgan Freeman narration would have comforted this story in general. Um, but I think you're right, especially, you know, me growing up uh, in Buffalo, it was tough to know what kind of fame O.J. Simpson had everywhere else because he was such, like, you know, the name recognition in Buffalo was through the charts. Obviously, and my, my dad was telling me, you know, stuff about O.J. Simpson since I was a little kid. So... Um, yeah, seeing the stuff about when he was at USC, it's always interesting to watch sports history be placed in the context of natu- national history, because sometimes those feel like they're on, they're floating on sort of separate timelines. So to orient him like directly into 1968 and all the events that happened there, not only with you know Martin Luther King and Robert F. Ke- uh, Robert Kennedy, but uh, the Mexico City Olympics with the Black Power salute and all that, it was it's. It really made me feel like, oh, we're really going to get into this because we're just like the setting the stage part was so thoroughly set up. I thought I was very sort of happy with that. And it's it feels like the right kind of approach to take when you have this medium at your disposal. Stephanie, what did you uh, think? I totally agree. I, yeah, I, I really liked it and I loved um, all the historical t- context they gave about LA in particular, the relationship between um, law enforcement and the black community, um, and then contrasting that with the bubble that was USC and still is USC, I imagine, um, and what how that affected OJ's sense of himself and his sense of how he fit into, you know, being a black athlete. I thought that was really great and really important because it kind of, you know, you can kind of trace these themes of OJ being set apart and uh, not thinking of himself as black and not relating to black culture as much as other black athletes maybe wanted him to. And that, you know, looking at what happened later in the trial, that has a certain irony. Um, So that was, that was good. And I also thought that the sports history part of it was good and important because I don't think I was... I mean, I was born in 1982, so I don't, I missed like the height of OJ's career, you know, I wasn't aware of it. So it was important for me to go back and kind of get a sense of how great an athlete he actually was. Um, Cause like you, Tara, I had only known him from the, <laughs> the naked gun movies and then his murder trial. Um, so I, I thought it was great. I really liked it. I thought it did a really good job and I'm interested to see where it goes next once he leaves the field of play because I think 30 for 30 is really an excellent series I can point to a couple that I thought were kind of a b minus or a little disappointing I'm still a little mad that the um, Martina and um, Chrissy documentary wasn't a gazillion times better than it was I'm tempted to do a kickstarter so they can just do it again (laughs) because Martina's the tits but most of them even sports I don't care about schools I don't care about. It's sort of like, well, I'll just try this. And then 10 minutes later, I'm totally sucked into it. The low point was the 2004 Red Sox one. That's really the worst one. It's so, so dumb. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it's, it's not good. And it's, but I think I've just like heard that, you know, hey, geography a million times and it just wasn't well, right, and it goes so counter to the whole point. The whole point of the 30 for 30 thing is, like, these are stories that you haven't heard a billion times. Even, you know, with OJ, for as much coverage as it got, like, this is even managing to get to angles of this that we haven't somehow have not explored. Yeah, and I think that they're – I think the real um, 
the real, not talent of it, but the sort of genius of the series generally is its ability to put sports in a context because I feel like sports are never just sports except to the people who play sports. Like I'm sure to the athletes, they're like, you know, quit putting your Joseph Campbell shit on me. Right. But, you know, for the rest of us, it, it helps us to communicate certain other things about ourselves and society, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't have a degree in sort of how to talk about these relational, you know, aspirational relationships that we have with, um, with sports and sports figures. But OJ, I feel like we have all been steeped in OJ between the miniseries, between the actual trial, between another 30 for 30 about June 17th, 1994, which of course was the chase day, which is excellent. It's one of the best ones Um, that they could find not only something new to say about him by starting not quite at the beginning and then doubling back to his childhood and then viewing it through this lens of race that he never wanted anyone to do because it would affect his ability to make money. But it also made me forget for a few minutes, like just watching him run was captivating. (laughs) Like, how does he even do that? It looks like a video game. And I'm making notes on this and then I'm like, oh, right. This, like, I I despise this person. Like he he killed (laughs) those people and Uh, lied about it and leveraged aspects of his quote-unquote community that he really was not all that interested in supporting before he got caught doing this and but man the charisma on that dude yeah i'll still have conversations with my dad where he'll be like you know oj hit 2,000 yards in only 14 games before they expanded the season to 16 games and i'm like yeah it's too bad he killed those people and he's like yeah i know it's awful he's like it's terrible but like and then he'll just sort of like be quiet for a bit and just be like man the one game though against the jets and i'd be like yeah but it's just like you just totally keep things in two separate compartments of your mind sometimes especially if you're a sports fan you almost have to what were you gonna say stephanie i Oh, well, I I had a really similar experience to you, Sarah, when, I mean, this, I'm not a sports fan. Um, Not that I don't have anything against sports. I'm just not like a sports watcher. But uh, it was a really strange experience to watch this documentary and kind of almost forget why O.J. Simpson is now infamous, (laughs) because he murdered his wife and another person. But um, it's so easy to get sucked into that charisma, even secondhand through, you know, footage of his athletic prowess and his interviews and his commercials and whatever. Uh, you and this kind is of, not, this I is not a fugly individual either. Like, you know, you hate saying it, but th- like, this is, yeah. this is a hot guy. It's, sorry. Like but yeah. late seventies OJ. I was like, Oh man, <laughs> what, why? It, then you remember, Oh, what he looks like now, a and B he's a murderer. But um, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was a very strange viewing experience because especially since my principal experience of OJ, like I said, is from his murder trial and reading about that. Um, I didn't expect to be, to forget about that for a second while I was watching the show. What did you guys think of how his family was, or I guess to some extent wasn't braided into this first part of it? Cause I thought the reveal, I thought the about reveal his about his dad was, yeah. no, mm. I'd never heard that before. I thought Neither that was, I. Quite telling, and I thought the fact that they sort of went back and pulled it in, like almost at the end of this segment, was yeah. an interesting choice. 
I sort of initially bristled at it in the way that I sometimes do, where I was just like, what are you saying? Like, are you saying he became a murderer because his dad was gay? Like, yes. is that what we're... Just kidding. Um, and I was like, but then you sort of, you know, you look at it, and I think because it spends so much time with OJ, I think you look at it also through the lens of just like, these are, there are so many angles from which identity is being you know denied that oj went to all these lengths to sort of separate himself from his blackness and sort of created him you know himself as his own little separate empire and in the most wonder, like, hyper masculine way yeah yeah totally possible but i, I like that they at least like put that stuff in there about just like back then that was the worst thing you could ever be and it's just sort of like you know it's it's you know a testament it's a document to like what how things were, you know, back then, not, you know, they've gotten better, you know, ellipsis after that, I guess. Um, but it's, it certainly adds a couple more thorns into the whole thing. But yeah, my very first reaction was just like, do not lay this at our for- at our doorstep, <laughs> please. We can't be responsible for OJ. Well, I also thought it was interesting that, that <laughs> the friend who was with him at the time, that guy, Joe Bell, was saying that the, the uh, I guess it was the as Ezra Edelman or whoever was the interviewer asking him, like, did you ever talk about that moment where you went to, they go to the, the, the dad's house and then they see that there's another guy also in a bathrobe there and that's how they figured out he was gay. But... Then they asked this friend who was with them, like, did you ever talk about that again? And he says, no. And I just sort of thought like that, plus the story of how OJ stole, not just stole Al Cowling's girlfriend, but then married her. Married her. <laughs> like, and then yeah. you, like add that to what we know about the coterie of friends around him, like Robert Kardashian and whoever else, like during the trial, it's like, this is someone who his whole life, people have been looking the other way about stuff he doesn't want them to know. Like this is a a crazy way to go through life, but you know, it explains a lot that you have that kind of, you know, it's a, it's certainly a kind of privilege to just do whatever and have no one call you on it ever. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I noticed that too, that theme of um, special treatment floating above, um, you know, exceptionalism. It sort of started really early on in his life and continued until, very recently yeah and then i loved that they opened with this woman i was unclear on whether this was a parole proceeding or or what exactly this was i don't like a co check-in but oh at the very beginning yeah Yeah. he's like and he's in the prison right he's at present day oj who's like making sure they know that even as a coach he's still awesome right and then this woman looks down at her paperwork and she's like I think I wrote down the exact quote. Let me see if I can find this here. I know it's in my piece, which is on previously.tv, but she says something like, oh, here it is. I see here that in 1994, you were arrested at the age of 46. And then there's this gorgeous silence where he's staring at her like, are you fucking kidding me? And then my husband and I both said in unison, is, is she fucking kidding us? <laughs> like, but seriously, was she? Like, is this just something that it's like, well, we're reviewing your arrest record, which she did say something about that. But I just thought, like, that was the moment in this series or document or whatever where I was like, wow. Like, I don't know how they got that. It's a brilliant decision to lead with it. And I was absolutely in with both feet that I was like, I, I don't... <laughs> 
I'm already like on my back foot with this. That is great. Yeah. It was interesting. It was, was interesting too to see that that just to open with that moment and like obviously his physicality is going to be different. He's an older person and he's you know gained some weight since he was in his prime and stuff. But like even just sitting in a chair, he seems so much. He's so diminished, you know. And then to like to go from that moment to him and you know as a as a star athlete for the first like twenty or thirty years of his life is is uh, it's it's strange to reconcile those two people and remember they're the same guy. I also thought it was interesting the way that OJ's reputation as it was building itself in the in the late 60s when he was at USC and when he was sort of actively shunning uh black revolutionary politics and the ways in which the you know people talking heads in the documentary uh talking about how, you know, there were people who were, you know, onto him about that and were not sort of won over by him in uh, the black community. And that sort of helps to build the narrative that will be coming about how, you know, the jury after they acquitted him was just sort of written off as, oh, well, black jury members were never going to convict OJ. And it's just like, it's so much more complicated than that and there's so much more history going into it than that yeah if you're on the wrong side of the uh the the that famous photo that joe you mentioned earlier of the track stars at the olympics with their hands up with their fists yeah. up like if you're if you see that photo and you're like well i'm not like those guys like fuck you forever like you can't be on the wrong Seriously. side of that photo the end yeah <clears throat> How many episodes do you think they're going to devote but to I mean, uh, him on the naked gun being Nordberg? <laughs> I believe that's all of part two. Pro- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> Stephanie, sorry, you were going to say. <laughs> oh no! I just but he did get away with being on the wrong side of that yeah, photo. Of you course. know, he did. Yes. He absolutely did. And when you, I mean, I read um, Jeffrey Tubin's book, which the. Um, mini the you know dramatic miniseries was based on the run of his life and that book goes really in depth into kind of and I'm sure this will be covered in the ESPN documentary as well about the cynical racial politics that kind of drove that trial um, and OJ did in fact <laughs> manage to manipulate his defense team managed to use racial politics and the particular racial politics of LA to get the outcome they wanted. I mean, other things contributed to it. Obviously, the prosecution made a lot of giant errors and, you know, whatever. But um, it's it's funny that at the time uh, when he was sort of standing apart from other black athletes who were, you know, showing solidarity with black revolutionary politics, there was some blowback. But then that never came back really to have any consequences for him later, especially during his murder trial. Like I don't, I don't remember hearing from those people when he was on trial for murder. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But well, I think it just sort of goes to show how much the uh, the other stuff that was going on in America also, in you know, came into play and sort of overruled people's yeah. emotions with that too. Like the Rodney King thing changed so much, and that's certainly the absolutely. Come. Joe, were you offended by the portrayal of yeah. Buffalo as a snowy hellscape? As my uh, intro <laughs> indicates, yes, of course, I bristle at that always when people are just like, oh, they, they view Buffalo with like a prison sentence or whatever. It's just like, oh, really? Like, Buffalo's not good enough for O.J. Simpson now? Like, great. Well, keep okay. in mind, this is before Walden Galleria. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> an excellent point. Did it's they have Wegmans point. or Wegman stubs at that point? This is an important I thing know. to know. We should look into the history of that. I mean, um, I'm from Saskatchewan, and I watched one. those scenes and went, oh, God, it looks so miserable. <laughs> like, just playing in that weather. <laughs> the, and the mud and the snow, like, just imagining it freezing while you're still in the middle of the game. Ugh. I mean, Ugh. okay, but Sorry. excuse me, but I'm that famous Michigan, game so where judge. it's snowing, <laughs> that was on Jersey, though, right? That snow, like, that wasn't actually Buffalo's fault. Oh, I don't know. The the run? Well, some of that, some of it was in Buffalo because Buffalo had AstroTurf, so that was that's why their field always looked so ugly back then because it was just <laughs> sort of like this. Like, although I've walked on AstroTurf and that shit is like hard as concrete, I can't imagine how anybody used to play football on that. Um, but that's a whole other. It could drive one to murder. No. Um, <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> That's the end of that chapter. (laughs) All right. Let's leave it on that note. It is time to go around the dial. Our first stop is with Tara Ariano. Tara. Just a pre-plug to back up to where we were. Sarah Debunting will be covering every episode of uh, OJ Made in America on Previously.tv, so make sure to check it out. Her first story was incredible and great and awesome, and she is great. Thank you. Um, speaking of incredible and great, oh my god, you guys, Veep has been so good this season. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the the at the storyline of Jonah running for Congress has yep. been so full of treasures, um, and of course, in last night's episode, as we record this, he he did get elected, which um, Amy and Dan regard with first marvel and then horror as he uses his acceptance speech uh, to call out all the people in the crowd that were shitty to him in high school, which, as you can imagine, were a lot. Um, having Peter McNichol play the uncle that is like his political Svengali that they had like made reference to in previous seasons, but we hadn't actually met him until now. It's so brilliant, not just because having the two of those actors side by side in a frame is like instantly hilarious, <laughs> even before either of them abuses the other like so great. Um, but I just want to give a um, a recommendation to the production. In last night's episode, we had the return of Minna, the former Finnish pre- president or prime minister or whatever. Now um, she's on the, in the IMF. Um, I thought she was Norwegian. No, she's Finnish because oh. there's no, that whole she's angry the Finnish fart. Thing. Oh yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> they and in that storyline when she was on the first time, Dave Foley played her husband, and he was like inappropriate with Selena and fine. That was a, <laughs> an excellent recommendation or a, a, a representation of Canada, of course. However. When is Canada going to get a storyline on Veep? I feel like every every week I'm waiting for them to do some kind of funny thing about Canada and how lame we are. The fact that I'm even asking for it tells you everything you need to know about it. But anyway. Uh, You're like the person at the Insult Comics show who's just like, do me next, do me next. <laughs> well, that's Canada in a nutshell. Yeah. So, yep, you nailed it. Um, oh. As for my, pl- uh, so there's only two more episodes of the season. If you haven't been watching it, get into it. They're obviously all on HBO Go. God, it's been so good. Um, and this has been the season without the creator writing. Right? Yes, it's yeah. they uh, have all new showrunners yeah. too. So yeah, the, the episode two uh, two ago where it was the state dinner and and Selena oh. and Tom have their big showdown. <laughs> fucking, uh, I mean, there's so many high points of the season. Honestly, even if you haven't watched other seasons, just start this year and it you will. Selena's be gotten so scary and mad. This season it's been amazing 
God. She's just losing it. She's, she's the best. Um, for my plugs, I have two. One is last week I interviewed Kelly O'Coin, a.k.a. Pastor Groovy Hair of the Americans. Um, so you can find that Love on Previously.tv. <laughs> he was lovely. That is not his real groovy hair. We talked extensively about his wig, as one would expect, <laughs> of wig cop. Um, also, I spent Saturday reading... <laughs> I can't believe I did this, but I did. Reading uh, <laughs> Wifey 101, which is the memoir slash quasi self help book question mark by Jamie Otis of The Bachelor, oh, Bachelor Pad 3, Married at First Sight, <laughs> and Married at First Sight colon the first year. Um, there's a lot of crazy shit in here. Obviously, Jamie has no insight into herself, and that is, you know, makes the book fascinating all on its own because. She just uh, the fact that she put, would put herself in a position to tell anyone else how to be a wife is hilarious, first of all. But also, even before you get to her marriage to Doug, the guy that the scientifically appointed scientists paired her with <laughs> on the show and making her one of, I think, only two couples in this whole run of the series that is still married and there have been nine. Um, so less of a success Courtney rate and than Jason are the only other ones, right? I think so. Cause right. You covered Sorry. the next two. Courtney seasons. and Jason are the only other ones. Yeah. 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 None of the other two from, from two and three or none of the, none of those lasted. Right. No, right. no, no. <laughs> uh, which is why married at the first at sight the first year had to go into the second year of marriage because none of the other couples made it and they had to still keep doing something, I guess. <laughs> anyway, there's a whole bunch of shit about like stuff that you, you thought you'd heard everything about her terrible trailer trash childhood. That's what she calls it. I'm just quoting her. There's way more that she never got into on the show and stuff, including that she says in the book she is going to like write it and then tell Doug before it comes out that she like still hasn't told him yet. And um um, hashtag two abortions. It's a lot. So um, a review Whoa. of that book is coming this week on previously.tv. Check that out. It will be super classy. Stephanie. Okay. So my around the dial is Real Housewives of Orange County. It's coming back <laughs> June 20th. And I am counting down the days, as you can tell. Um, I am a longtime Real Housewives of Orange County fan. It is my favorite of all of the many and varied Real Housewives uh, iterations. Um, I think because it is the television viewing equivalent of just like inhaling an entire bag of tortilla chips. Uh, <laughs> you don't feel great after, but it feels so good while you're doing it. Um, I, I love those ladies. They're all terrible. They're all monsters, especially Vicky. Tamara is now a bodybuilder. Like so much has happened. Oh Brooks God. may be coming back on the scene after his fake cancer scare. Megan's trying to have a baby um, with that guy she's married to who doesn't even like her. Shannon, I, I just, oh, I just can't get enough. I'm so excited. Um, and for my plug, Bachelorette is ongoing. Uh, I have now been covering it for three seasons, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm pleasantly surprised by this season so far. I was expecting to be really bored because... Jojo is like one entertainment point above watching paint dry, but <laughs> the men have been pretty entertaining, especially Chad, who was sent home last week, but did not actually go home because he stayed around to like scarily yell at everybody. <laughs> so and I'm then they, made, they took a week off and made us have to wait an extra week to see how it pays off. It's I know. So cruel. Damn you, ABC. I will say this. I could watch Chad shove free-floating food into his mouth 
all day, every day. That thing where it was just sort of like loose pieces of lettuce and like a, a sweet potato a in its entirety. That's I don't understand whether he knew he was making good TV with that or just like is an actual psychopath or both. I don't care. It was real good TV. I can't tell either. <laughs> I kind of wanted to move on to non-foods. Like, just have him snacking out of, like, a big bag of those shooter marbles. Why not? <laughs> that he'd actually well, uh, be able okay. to chew through? Yeah. That might have happened. At one point, he, like, went off into the woods to angrily whittle something. Or, I mean, he was holding a stick. And I was watching it with Al, and he goes, I think he's eating the wood. <laughs> so, I don't know. It kind of <laughs> I kind of want to play back to see if he was actually chewing on the stick. But I... I wouldn't put it past him. Oh, Finally, the the Bachelor the franchise takes on the heartbreak of Pika through Chad and his problem. <laughs> <Pika. laughs> oh. oh, anyway, so that's that's what I'm doing with my life, covering the Bachelorette. <laughs> All right, Joe, take it away. Uh, so last night on CBS was the uh, Tony Awards on a particularly difficult day to do the Tony Awards, only so many hours after the news about the Orlando shootings happened. Um, and I actually thought they did a really good job with it. It sort of it helped that the night itself already had sort of a momentum of its own with the Hamilton stuff that like was not going to be derailed. So there was wasn't sort of like a vacuum of story where. You know, you were always thinking about um, sort of the tragedies that were happening, which was good. It was nice to get your mind off of things for a while. Um, it was really good, though. I thought the performances were very strong. All of a sudden, I'm like, School of Rock might be something I want to see. I thought that was a really good performance. Um, and the Color Purple performance was very good. And obviously, Hamilton and Waitress, which I loved. Um, but I want to talk about James Corden a bit because he's sort of this divisive figure in entertainment in this sort of post-Fallon late-night world where there seem to be two camps sort of establishing themselves about whether late-night hosts are supposed to be genial or are supposed to be cutting and whether, you know, you're supposed to, you're allowed to have fun with these celebrities or you're supposed to be kind of taking the piss out of them a little bit. And I think, like, Corden and Fallon are obviously on one side. And I think Broadway's a good environment for Corden because obviously that's where he came up from. He's a Tony winner from a few years ago. And I think he, I sort of, I find I have occasions where I sort of get annoyed by him too. And like carpool karaoke to me can be very dependent on who's in the carpool. And I can certainly see where it's just like, if that's not your thing, it's like so much not your thing that would probably be harmful for you to watch it. (laughs) But I thought in the spirit of everything that was going on last night, he was a very sort of welcome host. And I got to actually attend the dress rehearsal through uh, winnings at a Tony trivia night, which I was very, very happy about. And he was doing like little like would pull uh, people from the audience during like the breaks they would take for the commercials to like do karaoke off of this like pre-approved list, which I heard he did actually during the actual Tony Awards, like Sean Hayes was doing it and whatever. Um, but the one point, like he called this girl down from like the balcony and didn't realize she was there with like twenty five of her like whatever theater art camp friends or whatever, oh. and they all came running downstairs and like stormed the stage, and it was so many of them. But he like totally was just incredibly charming with them and they all sang uh, On My Own from Les Miserables and the one girl was very like hammy with him and he totally picked it up and like it's one of my you know favorite qualities in 
a comedian of that type is just sort of the ability to kind of go with the flow and be incredibly welcoming. And like, you totally see why he is a really actually good fit for late night in a way that like, I know there are people who sort of take, you know, if you're in the comedy camp and you're just sort of just like late night belongs to comedians because it always sort of has. Um, but I don't know. I thought last, last night and yesterday in general really made me come out pro James Corden. So there that is. Uh, as far as plugs go, uh, you can find me at decider.com. I just started today a new series uh, called Summer Reading List where I talk about movies based on books because who wants to read a book when you can watch a movie <laughs> on streaming? So uh, check me out at decider.com. Sarah. Speaking of theater kids, uh, <laughs> I am covering Cop Rock as part of a Sober Second Thought series with our esteemed colleague Adam Grossworth. Um, we sort of thought it would be fun to do a Let's Talk It Out series about the show together. Um, a, it's a pretty short show. And B, since I'm totally into police procedurals and he's totally into musical theater, we thought that we could sort of have that dual force of critique. Um, the show is is the show is just not good. Like, it's not good at either of the things that it tries to do. Um, and it's also not good. Like, it casts some people who could act a little but mostly sing. And then it casts some people, because they could mostly sing, who sometimes can't sing. And they recorded it live to tape. And sometimes the singers are really pitchy, and they, they use the take anyway and didn't correct it. The storylines are dull. A lot of the acting is not good. And the finale, in which the entire last act of the episode is Vondi Curtis Hall, who deserves better than this, and Ronnie Cox, ditto, talking in this very meta way about how the show got canceled. And then there's this sing-along at the end where they're... It's like a song, like a torch song about how the show's been canceled, but they'll be back and... You know, how dare the mean old network step on poor little Stephen Bochco's dreams. Oh, dear. This is a person who cast his wife as a character, the mayor of Los Angeles, whose defining character trait is how ugly everyone tells her she is to her face. The creator's wife. I mean, she's she's fine looking. She had some nose makeup on, whatever. But, and you know, you're like, oh, there's Sheryl Crow and there's Paul McCrane and maybe this won't be so bad. It's, it's really bad. Um, But here's, here's the takeaway, which uh, we were just discussing it yesterday. Um, I really can't advise, it's just out on DVD, the show, finally. I really can't advise anyone to watch it because it's such a disappointing miscarriage of both genres, but the fact is, like, I think they, I think this is actually possible to do. Just this didn't do it. Like, I think you could actually marry these. I mean, we've seen it done. We've seen the most, like, they're making that into a musical. Like, they've made everything into a musical in the last five or ten years, sometimes with really splendid results. I think this could actually be done. I think you could marry, like, a murder police show and musicals but not with some of this cast peter onorati like the most consistent smell the fart face in (laughs) in sag which if he's still in it i'll be actually i think he still works but man he's so he's so bad in this um so yeah i'm hoping 
I'm hoping that someone takes another run at it. I respect the ambition. It just uh, it just didn't work. And by the end of it, I seriously wanted to metaphorically kick all these theater kids' books downstairs because, oh, God. <laughs> it is not good. Um, my plug is for cops that do rock or men who played cops who rock. I found this vintage, like, Law & Order Bible from the late 90s. And they're like, our most recent edition, Benjamin Bratt. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty dated. But the beginning where they're talking about why George Zunza and Michael Moriarty left the show. And the book is basically an oral history. And Dan Florek is such a bitch about <laughs> George Zunza. It's amazing. I am tearing through this book like a knife through butter. There will be a brand extension on it on previously.tv, but um, Dan Florek, 2016. <laughs> uh, here's an ad from yesteryear. Uh-oh. This flat tire needs a man, but when there's no man around. The wife is currently walking through Rapesville. <laughs> When there's no man around, Goodyear should be. Why? Watch this. New Goodyear Double Eagle <laughs> carries its own spare inside. Lifeguard safety spare. A tire in a tire. Keeps on going. Next time, give her a second chance. <laughs> All right, everybody, that means it is time for the canon. I want to preface my canon submission by noting that I am now two for three on canon submissions. Um, I've had some success with dramas, not so much success with sitcoms. I do want to go three for four, so it was so tempting to do another uh, Felicity or Freaks and Geeks episode and stay away from yeah. sitcoms like The Plague, but logic be damned. Uh, I love happy endings so much that I feel that the risk is worth it. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. 
That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code E-H-G for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. And the episode I've chosen, Season 1, Episode 12, The Sure Shower Redemption, is emblematic of why I adore this show and can rewatch it whenever I need cheering up. The main plot of this episode has to do with the impending and surprising marriage of the gang's old friend slash object of pity and ridicule, Jason Shershow, played by T.J. Miller of Silicon Valley fame. Shershow has always been a big goofus and was largely considered unmarriageable by the gang. Uh, the news of Shershow's nuptials brings up all kinds of feelings for everyone in the group, but especially for Penny, who once had a marriage pact with him. And that's the first clip. Seriously, guys, I can't believe Shershow is getting married before me. He was my safety. I mean, we made a pact if we didn't find anyone by 40, then we'd just marry each other. You'd actually marry Shershow? It's kind of like the gun in my grandma's purse. She hopes she doesn't have to use it, but she likes knowing it's there. Hmm. I mean, I thought Shershow was the safest safety possible. The guy's a maniac. How many times have we bailed him out? Once out of jail and once out of an actual boat. Mm. <laughs> Remember that summer he stayed with us? Whoa, where's my Bulls game? And why do we have 15 hours of Mori Povich? Because I'm in a fantasy Povich league. Excuse me, I'm just guzzle through here. Oh, golly. Oh, such a deep belly button. Oh, it wasn't as bad as the time you made smoothies at my apartment. Ooh. <laughs> I can't, I, I laugh even hearing that clip, and so much of that clip is the visual of Shershaw shirtless, like nestling through. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I love that. So the other plot lines include Max being designated the new Shershow and his struggle to unshershow himself by officiating Shershow's wedding. Alex and Dave reminiscing on their courtship and failed wedding, followed by their decision to act as each other's wingmen um, at the Shershow nuptials. Shershow's fiance designating Alex as a wedding jinx and Jane deciding to throw herself and Brad a new dream wedding on the same day as Shershow's wedding. But my favorite plot line, as ever, is the Penny plot line, so that's what I'll focus on here. So Penny is flummoxed that she's single and Shershaw is engaged, and she becomes completely flustered when she meets his attractive fiance, Melinda, played by the wonderful, icy June Diane Raphael. In the heat of the moment, Penny panics and invents a fake fiance. Then, in her scramble to cast someone, anyone, into the role of her fiance, she opts for Derek, her flamboyant gay friend who no one else in the group can stand. That's the second clip. I made a big mistake. Ooh, you think? I panicked. I mean, I'm an independent woman and everything, but no matter how hard you sing along to Liz Fair or how many women's surf camps you go to, when the chips are down, you're going fake fiance. No big deal. Just tell Shershaw that your fiance couldn't make it. It might be too late for that. What's up, skank? Oh, I'm fat. <laughs> Hi! Hey, you guys remember Derek. You guys so remember me, and I don't remember you. Just kidding. It's Max, Brad, and some blonde lady. Penny Pasta, seriously, I need to go to the little girl's room. I've had so many half-calf skim lattes on the drive up, okay? This right here, it's happening, okay? Get into it. Drama. He's all I could get last minute. So, despite Penny's assurances that Derek can pull off straight, things start to fall apart almost immediately when Penny introduces her, quote, fiancé to Shershaw. That is the third clip. Hey, Penny, you look stunning. So introduce me to the lucky guy. Shershaw? This is Derek. That's my name, so don't wear it out. <laughs> What's happening? You so derve is, like, really weird, right? Yeah, I guess it is weird, baby quiche. It's like a tiny... Egg pie. 
<laughs> Great. Well, uh, I'm gonna go mingle. Have some hot tea with lemon. Bye. Oh my God, Petty Penny, Ty Pennington, we are so doing it. I'm gonna win a Tony this weekend. Really? Your idea of playing straight is Danny Zuko from Greece. You don't like it? It's not a problem. I've got plenty in the kitty. Niles from Frasier. Oh, Frasier, don't you think it's fine? It's not gonna work. That's all I've got. Oh my God. Uh, Penny starts drinking heavily to cope and ends up giving an ill-advised wedding toast to the happy couple. And that's clip four. I want to say something I do. You're cute, but I am cuter. Hey, everybody. My name is Penny Hearts. Ding. Yep. And I'm one of Shosha's oldest friends. And how amazing is it that we both fell in love at the same time? You found Melinda and I... I found Derek. Sing it, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations, Melinda and Shershell. You have found each other, and now you will never have to pretend to be something that you're not. So let's raise our glasses. I'm going down. (laughs) Classic Shershell. That's a nipple. (laughs) (laughs) I love that... That quote ended on, that's a nipple. <laughs> so um, despite that toast and other mishaps, the wedding happens. And by the end of the episode, Shershaw is married. Alex and Dave are cool with just being friends, although it's obvious they both have unresolved feelings for each other. Max has redeemed himself as a non-Shershaw by ably officiating Shershaw's wedding. And Jane has decided she doesn't need to redo her wedding to Brad after all. But Penny is still struggling to reconcile herself to her singleness. So Max gives her a pep talk in typical Max style. That's clip five. What's wrong? You're going to make me talk about feelings? Fine. Blah, blah, blah. You're a great girl. Blah, blah, blah. You're going to meet a great guy. Blah, blah, blah. Until then, you got me. Stance. Uh, you're my safety. My gay safety. I got it. Okay, I wasn't sure. This episode is great for a number of reasons. First, there is no chaff here. The plot moves right along and the joke density is high. This is one of the defining characteristics of Happy Endings. Each episode was absolutely packed with jokes, many of them so quick and small that they're only catchable on second and third viewings, trust me. Uh, On a character (laughs) development level, this episode allows each member of the core cast to be themselves, but it also deepens their relationships with one another. We get to see Alex and Dave interacting, and we get a glimpse of why they might have once been engaged. We also see how hurt Alex is when Dave hooks up with a bridesmaid the night before the wedding, and we see Dave's conflicted feelings about being just friends with Alex. We get a taste of Brad and Jane's adorable bond, even though Jane is and will always be a complete nutcase, which is why I love her. We see Max care about how others perceive him, but not enough to actually change who he is deep down. And we see Penny struggle inwardly and outwardly with being single. And we see her receive support and love from her friends. And this episode, like all episodes of Happy Endings, is laugh out loud funny, but it also has sweet, heartfelt moments that don't feel forced or out of place. One could argue that the ending with everyone slow dancing and happy at Shershaw's wedding is too pat and ties everything into too neat a bow, but I would argue that neat, happy endings, no pun intended, are a hallmark of this sitcom genre and not a knock on the episode. Plus, as will be revealed in later episodes and seasons of the show, the characters' interactions with each other continue to grow and deepen, but not too much, because this is a comedy and it never takes itself too seriously. It's a tough line to walk, I think, for a sitcom to introduce feeling into an episode without veering into the schmoopy, but I think Happy Endings, and this episode in particular, accomplishes it. 
So for these reasons, I believe The Sure Show Redemption deserves a place in the canon as an example of an outstanding episode of a great show. What do you guys think? Very well argued. Um, this is, uh, I, I tweeted around the time that uh, a whole bunch of shows were getting canceled last month that, you know, my heart had hardened to these kinds of pains and <laughs> I felt <laughs> I never get sad about shows getting canceled anymore, which is generally true. But Happy Endings, Only Going Three Seasons is like still one of the great TV injustices of this generation. Generation. Honestly, yeah. there's there's just there's Agreed. no reason this show could not have been the next Friends. It was basically Friends to begin with, and it should have gone <clears throat> ten seasons. Like it was so funny and smart and sharp and silly and weird and j- just joke dense, like you said. Um, and I never heard until he, I heard that clip. I I didn't hear that's a nipple. Like and all of the times that I've watched this episode, <laughs> which is a lot. So. Um, I uh, I love the the joke in your first clip. How many times have we bailed him out? Once out of jail and once out of an actual boat. It's just like <laughs> such a gorgeous, <laughs> stupid joke. Um, June Diane Raphael is so good as Melinda. That's her name, right? The, the fiance. Yes. And um, the fact that she and Casey Wilson, who plays Penny, are real writing partners in real life and actually now have a podcast that I believe Joe has, has plugged on this podcast before. Um, all about Real Housewives. Bitch sash. Bitch yeah. sash. <laughs> well, June Dan Raphael is just a guest. It's actually co-hosted by Daniel oh, okay. Schneider, who was was a guest on Happy Endings, another episode. Right, but right, anyway, right. it's great. Yes. It's great and podcast. also was in um, Hot Wives of Orlando and all the other ones with Casey. Yes. Um, she's great, especially since she has to play the killjoy part and she just like doesn't try and wink at it all. She she gives it her all. And that's the hardest part to play, I think. And so she does a, a great job. Um especially when she gets to say the reason that she didn't walk down the aisle. Yes. Alex, Alex thinks it's because of her. And then she says, no, it's because I, my bustier fell apart and my boobies were everywhere or whatever. But the, my the little f- shake she gives when she says that too, is the funniest goddamn thing. She was just like, like without my smiling around everywhere. I was just like, that's so good. Derek. <laughs> Is the best. Um, the fact that his attempt to be a straight guy is to revert to his um, performance as Danny Zuko in an earlier time in his life is brilliant. <laughs> um, I love him. I love how committed he is to just being 100% himself. And um, the, uh, the I also want to give a shout out to the editing on this episode. It, it, when, a jo- when a show is this joke loaded, um, it has to be like timed like a Swiss watch and everything is a spin. You never see this more than in that episode, uh, that moment that I already mentioned where Penny uh, is giving her terrible toast and the podium collapses and she falls like the (laughs) cut from her to the crowd back to her. It's just, it's gorgeous and perfect. And this episode is great for all the reasons that you said. It is a great showcase for all the characters being 100% their most themselves. And um, I loved it. Thanks for letting us watch it. Joe. Yeah, so um, the first season of Happy Endings was real interesting because I remember when that pilot aired, and I don't think anybody really liked the pilot. For no, Happy I didn't Endings. either. And I think yeah. it aired. I think it was made available, or even maybe just like a trailer for it around the upfronts, and then it didn't end up airing until mid-season, and people were just like, "Oh, this this fucking show coming down the pike or whatever." And I think now looking back on it, it's probably just like it's like a B minus episode of Happy Endings, but like when it's just a pilot and when you're expecting most pilots you are sort of on guard for crap anyway it's it was it felt really bad and so the 
sort of run of the first season of Happy Endings where I was just like, this show's stupid. But it would sort of be like on when I was at work, when I was at ABC. And I was just like, you know, okay, here, you know, whatever. And then I remember people were like slowly sort of like getting on board with it. And I was like, should I take this show more seriously? And I'd start watching it. And then I would be like, sort of like, I would enjoy it, but I had really had my guard up about just like, I'm not going to let this dumb show sort of suck me in and then, you know, revert to its stupid roots. And I remember that very moment where Penny gets up on the podium and then it's t- it topples over and she just goes, oh, I'm going down. And I was like, that was the exact <laughs> pinpoint moment where I was just like, nope, I like the show. That's it. It's all, I have no more reservations. I think it's so good. It's a really great episode. It's the, you know, the best episodes of the show are the ones that get all six of them together in the same storyline. I thought that was really good. The moment at the end where they were all dancing is like they had these rare moments of sentimentality, but they always felt very earned. Although I will say, um, if you have two guys dancing, they can touch each other a little bit more than Derek and this other guy were touching each other. But like, whatever. That's, you know, that's my thing. Um I thought the the thing Tara mentioned about uh, Derek and Danny Zuko, but I love that like his backup is Niles Crane, and then after that he doesn't have anything else in the chamber, which is great. Um, huge highlight episode for Casey Wilson. Um, there are so many episodes of Happy Endings that I would you know put in the canon. I think this is one of the ones that does stand out for me, though. It's a uh, it's a real good one. Sarah. Um. Okay, so it's interesting to me that uh, this is, I believe, the second Happy Endings episode that we've considered, and I believe that one also concerned a wedding. Correct. I seem to recall a line oh, about yeah. the Skype table. Oh, and yeah. Man I Donald. Lo- I- yeah. Man Donald. Oh, yes, Man Donald. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's part of EHD history. Um, yes. Yeah. It appears that Happy Endings is a sitcom for buncees who hate sitcoms. Um, there we go. I laughed the whole time. Uh, Adam Pally drinking straight out of a coffee carafe, like unscrewing the top. And he's just like doing a little business and he's drinking straight out of it. Like, oh my God, bless. And in that way, it really is like the league meets the Mindy Project, like all the best parts of both those shows and like way less self-indulgence than either of them. But also weirdly, can we talk about the fashion on Happy Endings? Everyone always looks super cute. Yeah. Like, it's not... I was, like, noticing it and noticing the outfits, and it was a little unusual for that genre. The women, especially. I mean... Max wore a pajama top to uh, to the bar in the first scene. He did, but they they called it out. They called it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's... It's flawlessly timed. It's very likable people, but not, like, so likable that it's bland. Um, Clearly, I'm just going to have to sit and watch the show from end to end. I can't really speak to whether this is like rises above, you know, it's brethren, but I super enjoyed watching it. And I think it, you know, sold me if I weren't sold before on the idea of just watching the whole series straight through. So yeah, awesome presentation and awesome show. Loved watching it. Uh, I picked up happy endings pretty much after the show was over. Tara was doing a rewatch. So I joined in. And it is a very funny show. The one, the my favorite part of this episode was after Penny barges in, uh, into the apartment of Alex. Yeah, uh, and Alex is talking, and very blurry in the background, you just see her husband so slowly sink. Oh, Jane. Of, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah, okay. Slowly sink. Yeah. Behind the couch, <laughs> out of view. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice little visual joke. 
Um, <laughs> okay, but here is my problem with this episode, and it's something I've harped on before, which is uh, Derek's character is sort of like, for me, Jack from Will and Grace. He's like a stereotype. He's not going to age well. You know, that portrayal of a gay person, I don't like it. I feel it is akin to like black help on TV shows from, you know, early years and stuff like that. I think for me, it's in that area. Uh, that's why I never really got into Will and Grace. I know when Will and Grace had an episode, I voted it down for the same reason. I don't think that's something that's going to stand the test of time. It already feels a little weird to me today. Um, in defense of Derek, if I may, mm-hmm. he, he, that character is used as like a trope, like a, He's so ridiculous because he's so he's but they all are. I mean that but but there's not there's not the, you know, excited gay pal who's not that way. I mean there's Yes, there is, Max. Yeah. I mean he's yeah, not excited, yeah, okay, but Max is gay. Yeah. All right. Max yeah. is the the guy who is gay on the show, like he is their friend and he is gay. He's not like the gay friend, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Whereas Derek is this ridiculous drama, you know, yeah. like all yeah. of the little things he says and no one, like no one can, cl- can stand him, including Max because he's so obnoxious. So it's, they're not saying like, Oh, this is like how gay guys act. Right. It's like, this is how Derek acts and it annoys the shit out of everybody. Um, but Penny likes him. There's another episode that shows the development of Penny's friendship with Derek. And she's the only one who likes him because everyone thinks that he's annoying. He, so he also has are, another redemptive. Sorry to interrupt. He has another redemptive episode, too. Isn't there something about a gym where he gets to, like, go ham on someone who's really rude? Like, there's 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 yeah, a whole range and he gets of married. Yes. He too. Gets married. Is that the episode that you guys let into the canon before i'm not sure I which one it was but that is right late episode two i'm not he sure. marries a guy named eric i think yes <laughs> um and their wedding has a skype table which i yes, always like that, i find yes, that concept that was, yeah, hysterical that and penny gets stuck at the skype table yeah um, i hear what you're saying so Dave, Derek, but like there's there's a like max dates a whole bunch of different kinds of guys and none of them are like this guy this is just this is an no. outlier character and I yeah think, i get it I, I, okay. I don't i don't think the fact that it's an outlier character or he doesn't uh grade well in contrast to max is a reason why i would find that acceptable fair or, enough or like it's it, he's an easy right. They're easy laughs. Uh, I think that's why he's in there. Uh, I don't think you get to have a positive character and there's some sort of karma balance where you get to have this stereotype in it as well. Like just have Max as you know the 2000 you know teens gay man. You don't need this throwback to something you see on the se- on a seventh. Like you know this guy's like almost Paul Lind. You know. In, in the show. So that's my problem with it. But I think there are people like Derek who are performative in the way that, you know, they behave with a group or on their own. Like, I think that there are, there are different ways to be a gay man. And there, a lot of them are portrayed on happy endings. Like Tara said, Max dates a lot of different guys. None of them are like Derek, but Derek is, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I also don't agree because I think, um, Derek is acting that way on purpose. He's choosing to be that way. He's not like a stock character. Um, I don't know. Like, you know who I compare him to almost in his behavior and his speech and calling everyone bitch and stuff is Reza from <laughs> Shaz of Sunset. Who's a real, he's yeah. a real person. I mean, but it's a performance, you know, it's yeah. like oh. he's, it's how he 
has is choosing to move through the world. And I think uh, I think that's what Derek is is doing. Like, who knows what Derek's like at home? But um, right. Derek in public is this Derek. I don't know. Well, reasonable people. I'll can defend disagree. Derek till I die. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's put this to a vote. Let's... Absolutely yay for me. And Joe? Yes, yes Sarah. for me. Sarah? Yay! All right, I'm going to go no, but it doesn't matter because three versus one. Shh. Happy ending. Season one, episode 12, The Sure Show Redemption. <laughs> you are hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. No. Nope. It is time for winner and a loser week. Tara has our winner. Winner of the week is Nashville, which got canceled by ABC last month, but has been picked up by CMT for season five. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> um, I guess that bullshit uh, cliffhanger ending that Lionsgate demanded or requested or chose uh, in order to make the series more palatable for another outlet to pick up was a good idea because that has indeed been what has happened. So look out for C- Nashville sometime next season on right, CMT my, if you get it. Here's, here's what's going to happen. They're yes, going to move to, uh, what's that town? Uh, Bronson? Branson. Branson? Branson. <laughs> yeah. It's going to become Branson. <laughs> I did do a story last week uh, before it was confirmed that the move was happening that was uh, speculating on what the show was going to be like in season five once it moved to CMT and the budget conscious uh, decisions that would have to be made. So I will link that in the show notes. Uh, It's on previously.tv, of course. Loser of the week? Loser of the week is Fox Sports. Um, They had to fire a sideline reporter whose name is Emily Austin because she went on this show called Barstool Sports and spewed um, a bunch of bigoted crap and was punted immediately, which is great. Fox Sports is not like the Fox News of sports exactly. It's just Fox and sports. (laughs) But I think they suffer from that assumption and it's good that they... um, didn't let, you know, little miss blonde Trump continue <laughs> uh, in her current role. Uh, so, yeah, she I was tempted to put Nashville as the loser, too, though, because <laughs> Tara's piece is brilliant. And what it's basically going to boil down to is the entire cast currently like Chrissy snowing in <laughs> to the show via phone while a bunch of much cheaper talent takes over as like Nashville, the new class. But I guess we'll see. Speaking about things we'll see, do you know what time it is? Um, Game time. time. All right, everybody. This is the third game time of the season. Joe won the first game. Tara won the second. Everybody else is looking to get on the board. Today we are playing space. What again? Wait, what are we playing? What are we playing, Sarah? Space. <laughs> space comes from Greg Zuwicki, who earns himself an extra credit, redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. We are playing space today in honor of the new Glarkware extra hot, great shirt. Space, space. now available at Glarkware.com. <laughs> it's got a comet. It's got a shaking fist. Sure does. It's got planets and stars. All it's in got a my vote. Design. Thank you very much, Mark Smullen, for that. All right. We have 32 questions today. Okay. All answers contain or rhyme with space in some way. 
Most are names of TV projects, mostly shows, but at least one miniseries. Mm. One or two character names, uh, plus some straight-up answers inspired by TV shows. Most are easy, a few aren't, says Greg. Oh. So with that, <laughs> let's throw it to Picky. We will start with Tara. All right. Okay. Tara, mm-hmm. Joe, Sarah, Stephanie, that is our order. Are we ready to play Space? Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. Tara. Yeah. The ladies buddy cop show. Before you answer, mm-hmm. you must answer Sarah D. Bunting style. Okay. The ladies <laughs> cop show? The ladies buddy cop show. Okay. Kangy and Lace. E. <laughs> Joe. Yes. 2000's Jerry Bruckheimer CBS procedural. 2000s. Oh, well, uh, huh. Oh, cold case. <laughs> I don't know if that's Jerry Bruckheimer. I don't know. Oh, either. shit. Why? Is you were thinking of something else? That's not the answer. Nope. Oh, damn. Uh, uh, it was. Anybody? That's what I thought it was. Well, we can check. Somebody check. I'll look. Uh, but the answer was without a trick. That one definitely is. But I think it might also be. Yeah, cool. I'm looking. I'm looking. We'll look it up. All right. Looking, In the meantime, looking. Sarah, Dirk yes. Benedict, after he left the Galactica. <laughs> oh, I bet you're glad that I got this one because that one is face. <laughs> and to Stephanie, could have been the subject of a Prince song. Hmm. Um. Huh. Right. Oh. Purple rhymes with or contains space. Yeah, got it. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, got it. I was it. gonna say purple lace, and I realized that is definitely not a print song. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. Anybody? No. The answer is oh. space. Nineteen ninety nine. Oh, okay, I have an oh, update. God. Oh. Um, <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer did produce Cold Case. All right. So let's right. that point. Nicely done, Joe. Although I will just remind you, I don't really know if it's in here or not, but that doesn't mean Cold Case is out of the running for another answer then, I guess. Got it. All right. Number five, back to Tara Ariano. Introduce TV to prototypical curmudgeon John Houseman. Uh, Remember that guy? Yeah. We earned it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anybody? Paper chase? The oh, paper chase. chase. <laughs> All right, back to Joe. McCormick and Messing. Oh, Will and Grace. <laughs> Sequel, Worse Than Jazz, specifically the way Glenn Miller played to Sarah. Worse Than Jazz. Uh, can you read it again, please? Sequel, Worse Than Jazz, specifically the way Glenn Miller played. The way Glenn Miller played? Uh, Sequel. I don't know. The answer was... Archie Bunker's Place! That is correct. (laughs) Stephanie, USA show not set in Tennessee. Not set in Tennessee. Oh, uh, Graceland. (laughs) Correct. Back to Tara. (laughs) Yes? What the mother Ted met played. Uh, bass. Bass is correct. Nice call. Uh, to Joe. 
CBS Procedural starring Catherine Morris. <laughs> cold case. Ah, <laughs> uh, cold case. Paying extra dividends really? to one Mr. Yeah, Drury. for sure. Love it. Sarah D. Bunting, the 70th sitcom ever featured a Gloria Swanson puppet, a Corey, and a busty blonde. <sighs> Never heard of this. Corey? Some are easy. A few aren't. This one is an yeah. art. Uh, um, Stroker Ace! <laughs> Madame's Place! Oh, oh wow. All right, number 12, bring us into our Touch first score break for Stephanie. Dr. Yep. Quest's adventure, quote, partner, end quote. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um... This is referring to a show that I have never watched, I guess. I don't know. Race! Bannon. <laughs> All right, so very pointed. tight game. Sarah and Stephanie are tied with one each. I have two. Joe has three. Two of which are cold case. <laughs> two of which are cold case, exactly. Yeah, I think we're out of cold cases now. All right, yeah. here we go. Number 13 for Tara Ariano. Liv's favorite show. Face off. All right, here is a very quick one for Joe. Brett Butler. Race under fire. <laughs> and for Sarah, travel the globe, win the most... Uh, Lost my place. Oh, here we go. Travel the globe, win the most reality competition Emmys. Amazing race. Correct. To also st- a Bruckheimer production. <laughs> He's all yeah. over the shit. Uh, Baker, who is all over Food Network and grocery stores. Baker. It's all over Food Network and grocery stores. I don't know. Ace of Cakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Number 17. Ace. Oh, okay. Uh, this is back to Tar. Mm-hmm. Hazard County could do without Wopat and Schneider, but not without one of these in every episode. <laughs> Car chase. <laughs> Uh, to Joe. Yes. Number 18. Holly Hunter on TNT. Oh. Okay, I've gotten two cold case and now Holly my Hunter third grace, because this is saving grace. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Number 19 to Sarah. Who knew Selena Gomez would break out of here? Gosh. Would break out of here. Yep. Good luck. <sighs> You're too old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Picky's mean yeah. to Sarah today. The kid, the kid who lives old. in your house is too young. Yeah. Uh, the answer, anybody? Wizards of Waverly Wizards of Place. Wizards of Waverly Place. Correct. To Stephanie, famous for its terrible name, also Ryan Reynolds, two guys, a girl, and... A pizza place. <laughs> Back to Tar. <laughs> yes. Kids without cable in the 80s watched this dumb show about three teens, a bunch of puppets, and bad cartoons because there was nothing else on. But we did want that cool little TV gadget the cartoons were shown on. Uh, additional hint for you. Uh-huh. Because that's like, you know, you'll never know. Okay. Right? Uh, mentioned recently on this show? Um... 
All I got is pigs in space. <laughs> the great space oh, coaster. Of course. Okay, to Joe, Heather yes. Locklear's 90s address. Ah, Melrose Place. Correct. And to Sarah, the 60s granddaddy of primetime trashy drama. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, um, Peyton Place. <laughs> <laughs> say, it, say, say it with confidence, please. <laughs> Peyton Place. <laughs> Correct. All right, bring us into our second score break. It's Stephanie's Clue. Uh, Phineas and Ferb held a benefit for the aglet, which is the tip of what? <laughs> a shoe lace. Nice. Correct. Someone All right. Does cross- I know that because I do crossword. I knew it. Sorry. <laughs> it is time for our second score break brought to you by the Space T-shirt at Glarkware.com. Support podcast <laughs> by your Space T-shirt today, Tara. Still very tight game. Sarah and Stephanie still tied with three each. I have four. Joe has six. All right. So that was 24 of 32. Here's everybody's last two questions. Oh, boy. Tara Ariano. Yeah. Sean of the Dead's early days on UK TV. Space. Duh. Correct. <clears throat> to Joe. Do-it-yourself reality show that started it all. Um, do-it-yourself reality show. Ah, uh, is it a Bob Vila thing? I don't know. I'll give you a hint because, well, I wouldn't call that. A, I'll give you a hint. That's not really a reality show. That's, that's Bob Vila. Okay. Yeah. I still let's, don't know. Let's say it's Twop era. I'll give you that hint. Ah. Huh. I don't know. Anybody? Trading space. Trading oh, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. All right. Sarah D. Bunting, uh, picky smiles upon you. Oh. A so-called family's name. <laughs> oh, the chases. <laughs> Correct. And to Stephanie, Netflix show starring old ladies. Oh, Grace and Frankie. <laughs> Correct. All right, let's quickly get a score. Everybody's got one question left. All right, still super tight. Sarah and Stephanie, four each. I have five. Joe still has six. All right, so this is Joe's to lose. Yep. Tara needs this. Oh, Tara. <laughs> oh, Tara. Oh, no. Gilligan's oh. Saturday night. Sorry, Gilligan's Saturday live action gig. Gilligan's Saturday live action gig. <laughs> Mentioned on this podcast a while ago. Uh-huh. Uh no reason you'd remember it. <laughs> okay. If and, you get it, ten Dave points. And I don't. Sorry. <laughs> Anybody? Far oh. out space nuts. Oh my god. Yep. <laughs> some, some are easy, some ain't. Try oh. harder in entertainment, the past. Okay. Joe. <laughs> yes. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Trashy eighties miniseries about four young women. Oh. Trashy 80s miniseries. Mention miniseries at the top. And here's that question. Trashy right. 80s miniseries about four young women. Is this return to Peyton Place? No, it's not. It's Place. Oh, the Daniel oh. thing. Or Jackie yeah. Collins, one of those. All right, Sarah. Here's your last question. 
If you can't love this show, how can you love anything else? <laughs> can I get a RuPaul's Drag Race up in All here? Right. All right, nice. last question of the game for Stephanie. The robot and Billy Mummy were always in danger in... Oh, Lost in Space? <laughs> You are correct. All right. Let's hear the end of game scores, please. Holy shit. That was tight. Good job, Joe. Uh, I I and Sarah and Stephanie all ended with five. Joe had six. Oh, all right. Congratulations, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe. Thank you, cold case. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. That is it for another episode of extra hot great we took a stab at the new oj doc made in america oh. before running around the dial with stops at veep real housewives the tony awards cop rock Jesus. and man tires <laughs> stephanie had a happy ending after she pitched us happy endings to search redemption for the canon we crowned winners and losers of the week and joe was the winner of this week's sarah Game, Game time. time sponsored by the new space t-shirt available from Clarkware.com. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, that's a nipple. Sarah D. Bunting. I'm going down. Joe Reed. Classic sure show. And Stephanie Green. I'm wearing a pajama top. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Right here on Extra Hot Crate. I'm working on next month's Oscar nominations. (laughs) Any preference? I couldn't care less. What I don't want to see is the Bills winning the Super Bowl. As long as I'm alive, that doesn't happen. You will use any excuse to play that clip. It's so good. (laughs) So mean. This has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network. 